0: What up, AOTA family? Welcome to Passing Period and All the Above podcast extra. You know we drop these in between our full episodes of All the Above. Our full episodes of All the Above feature super dope guests from all around the nation. And our most recent All the the Above full episode uh, was featuring Kim Turner talking about Title IX and gender equity. That was about two weeks ago. We are currently, I'll be be honest with y'all. Let's be honest with them, Jeff. Um, Things are very, very busy right now. Not just with the start of the school year, but you had mentioned a wedding last week. We know you just purchased a new house. I myself am teaching a new class I've never taught before. In fact, has never been taught at our high school before. So a a lot of new curriculum being created in the midst of all kinds of stuff. So we've been a bit busy. We've been a bit busy. We are keeping the passing periods rolling though. Every week we'll be with you with a super dope guest or not. So uh, definitely, definitely just hold on tight. We'll get back to the super dope guests and full episodes, the video format and all that good stuff soon. Um, as as Jeffrey mentioned a few passing periods ago, um, we're not always there when you call, but we're always on time with that full episode content. Jeff, how are you doing this weekend?
1: Uh, first of all, shout out to Ja Rule and Ashanti, yep. uh, 90s legends, um, <laughs> pi- pioneers of the sing-songy rap. Indeed. uh, If you will. Uh, (laughs) So, Drake, you know, pay homage. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing well, Manuel. It was the first week of school uh, in the Los Angeles Unified School District where I do, uh, you know, the majority of my work. And uh, it was a beautiful start to the school year. Uh, I was coming back. Uh, I actually missed the first day of school, Manuel, for the. Honestly, for the maybe the first time in my tis, entire career, tis, I tis. was af, I was absent on the first day of school. Where's like, the think commitment, this has ever Jeff?
0: You're supposed uh, to be fully self-sacrificing in the name of this education system.
1: Yes. Well, what I was doing, I was at Home Depot looking for a sword that I could throw myself upon uh, after, <laughs> after missing the first day of school. Do they sell swords uh, at Home Depot? I don't. No. This do. episode is also not sponsored by Home Depot, so we'll uh, we'll not. say the home center, uh, (laughs) looking for a sword. Uh, no, I was actually, uh, back in my home state, uh, of Minnesota. My, uh, stepbrother got married and I had the pleasure of officiating that wedding. And, uh, it was, it was wonderful and beautiful and, um, you know, officiating weddings is just cool, man. Like you get to be a part of This like magical moment in people's lives forever, you know, and uh, (laughs) it's kind of a cool thing. So, um, so that's, that's why I missed the first day of school. I was on a plane coming back to, uh, to California all day. Um, And uh, so the second day of school, I got to spend it at uh, one of the elementary schools I work with down in Watts. And uh, I mean, it's just a wonderful little school and, and, seeing all the kids, the best thing about elementary, man, that I think you you and I both missed for, well, you missed maybe still today, but yeah. I missed for the bulk of my career working with secondary, it's like the elementary kids like love random adults for no reason in a way that <laughs> secondary kids like, don't you know what i mean like especially they see me and i'm huge and they're just like whoa that's cool and they like (laughs) want to say hi and wave to you and stuff and they're like look at this thing i just picked up on the ground it's it's a thing look at it (laughs) like i discovered a flower you know whatever they're just happy to share and cute and stuff you know and um so and you know they go to the bathroom with a partner and they hold hands and they cry when they have to leave their mom on the second day of school oh, or man. whatever, you know. And it's just, it's a different world. So, um, so that was a lot of fun. And um, the rest of the week was actually much more just like a lot of business uh, to attend to. But, um, uh, you know, it was a good, good launch of the school year and excited about, uh, you know, the rest of the year to come
0: nice nice yeah i haven't i have not been on an elementary school campus like while kids are there in session and i don't know how long i don't remember the last time i was there to actually see like elementary classes in session maybe when i was in elementary to be honest because it has not happened so yeah man that 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 world you just described that's not the world we have in the secondary level uh (laughs) they can care less about random adults They could care uh, yeah. less about some of the adults who are not random. They are too cool exactly. for all of that. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, yes. man. Well, cool, man. Welcome, welcome into the school year. We just finished our first full week. Of course, we our first day of school was the week prior, and I think I mentioned that last week on the passing period. So we just had our first full week of uh, five five days straight of our block classes um, without any special activities or anything like that. Just straight up into it, and uh, yeah, so far so good. It's gone pretty well. And our enrollment is bigger than we thought it would be, which is a, a nice problem to have in this shrinking enrollment um, environment that we're in nowadays. So it's, Word. it's yeah, it's just nice seeing everybody. Everybody's uh, vibing. I'm loving my classes so far. It's just all good, man. It's just all good. Nice. And nice. I think we should really take a moment to shout out Obviously, uh, beyond the classroom teachers, we know it takes a whole whole community of folks to, to get schools ready and up and rolling for the new school year. And uh, I particularly want to shout out those custodians out there who are putting in work over the summer. I know my, my classroom was like the cleanest and nicest it's ever been. So shout out to everybody on our school site, whoever had anything to do with that, because normally I get back to the classroom and, you know, I'm always like, just anticipating something missing and this and that, because you know stuff gets mixed up all the time and all that. But it was just really great. And uh, shout out to those custodians who, even in the 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 last minutes of summer, right before school started, spent their time on the weekends, on a Sunday perhaps, going into the school to uh, do last minute preparations to get their their elementary schools rolling and ready for the school year. Especially those custodians out there who went in on the weekend on a Sunday. To get to school ready for the first day of school and who perhaps work in a public school that is in a very affluent, affluent, predominantly white area. And perhaps maybe had the cops called on them for going into their own school to uh, do some work in their school, to get get it ready for the first day of school. Shout out to those custodians who had to endure having the cops called on them while they were just doing their job and then having weapons drawn on them, non-lethal perhaps, but I don't know how you know that when you are facing police unexpectedly and they have something drawn on you and they're basically um, asking you who you are and to turn around and hands behind your back and all that. And um, shout out to any custodian who might be out there in that situation, having to have dealt with that trauma of having the cops called on them for simply doing their job on the weekend, trying to get their elementary school ready. And shout out to any principal who maybe had to across two or three towns, cities, to get there to help save that custodian from being arrested, and who perhaps had to interact with police in that very, very tense and enraging situation. And unbeknownst to them, have their body camera footage shown publicly, showing the principal, making some comments that were certainly emotional. And in my opinion, not wrong, but um, shout out to anybody out there in that situation. <laughs> um, I'm not referring to Has, any particular hashtag district. Nosy or, or, <laughs> hashtag uh, nosy
1: white neighbors. Hashtag uh, nosy white
0: neighbors. I'm not <laughs> referring to any particular district or school or anything. I'm just feeling like that maybe happened out there in the universe somewhere in this, this um, United States of America. So...
1: Yeah, hypothetically, it, it could have happened, say, in a, a place like Pasadena, California, um, you know, just hypothetically speaking, where uh, there uh, is a police department that is, um, you know, just a, a year or so ago uh, murdered a black man in the streets and uh, made a propaganda film to uh, excuse that murder and had no accountability for the officers involved whatsoever, uh, you know, which may or may not have exacerbated the extent of the trauma and fear that this custodian, this plant manager, who was at the school on a Sunday. Now, honestly, Manuel, if I'm a mastermind criminal, violent criminal, which would require officers having guns drawn, I think honestly the last place in the world I'm about to carry out my master crime scheme is a elementary school campus on Sunday, okay? During <laughs> during daylight hours. Like this, just the insanity is out of control. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think what we can what we can do, Manuel, is hypothetically speaking, as you said, there may or may not be an article or two out there about this story that may or may not be linked in the notes for this episode. Um, and so, you know, that that might be all we need to say about it right now. Hashtag nosy white neighbors.
0: Nosy white neighbors, and. Anyways, Jeff, let's talk about principles, man. Let's talk about principles.
1: Um, yes, yes.
0: You are the super duper dope principal leader, man. And I, I, I sometimes refer to those in administrative positions as the the ones who make the big bucks. And that's why your job's hard. You make the big bucks. And we all know that if you break it down by hour for the, you know, the average school principal out there, how many hours they put in, especially, you know, at high school level, you got to go to all the games and all that other stuff. Um, they don't make the big bucks. They, they in fact, do not make those big bucks. However, um, they are in those very important, critically important positions of leadership for school sites. And we know there's a teacher shortage, so-called. We know that things are very difficult right now for teachers. And we thought we'd take a minute to talk about this story about principles and how not good things are right now for principles, whether or not you are a principal who went to defend your custodian and now you are the center of the criticism and not the police, but that's another story. So Jeff, what do we got this week for
1: our passing period story? Yeah, man, well, we got a, a fascinating story coming to us out of uh, US News and World Report uh, by Lauren uh, Camara. Uh, Or camera, I hope I'm saying that correctly. Uh, So uh, Lauren wrote this story that's entitled Half of Principles Eyeing Career Change, colon, survey. That's kind of an interesting phrasing of That that. is weird. I'm not quite sure how to read that one, actually. But, uh, you know, survey, very dramatic. Um, Okay, so in in all fairness, I do think this story is probably much more dramatic than the... um, than the level of public attention that it may or may not actually be getting. Um, so, the article starts off by talking about one out of two school leaders saying that their stress level is so high that they're considering a career change or retirement, according to a new survey of principals. Um, and, you know, this is uh, perhaps not surprising, but also like very sobering data as we enter. Uh, a yet another potentially pandemic impacted school year, right? Um, so according to the survey, uh, which was released by the National Association of Secondary School Principals, 38% of middle and high school principals are planning to leave in the next three years, 24% in the next two to three years, and 14% are planning to leave within one year. Now, I have to say, honestly, when I saw the, that data, Manuel, I was like, well, that those numbers are both... Uh, sobering, and also like frankly, I'm, I'm kind of surprised it's not higher because like yeah. stuff has been real, real hard for a few years now, and the job was already incredibly difficult. I can personally attest to before the pandemic. Um, so some of the factors that are kind of revealed in this article that that give some additional um, give some additional context to folks are. Uh, You know, the uptick in stress the school leaders are experiencing, um, they posit could be related to the fact that the the staff shortages, which we talked about extensively last week, um, are impacting administrators because you have your job as the principal. And now you also have to, like, cover classes every day and you also have to, um, you know, take on certain roles in the cafeteria or supervising recess or other kinds of things because you don't have you know, a full staff. Um, The survey also said that um, the increasing levels of stress uh, can stem from the fact that 70% of school leaders reported that they have been personally threatened or attacked physically or verbally during the past year. Um, And almost half of all school leaders reported being verbally attacked this past year either in person or online. And 15% of them said that they have been physically attacked. So, you know that is a shocking statistic. As I think back on my time as a principal, and what I know of other folks who are currently principals, there's a, there's a degree to which part of what happens when you work in public service and you are, you know, a, a, a executive leader, to which complaints are appealed up to you, right? you are going to interact with people who might be extremely upset about something because they first talked about it with the teacher and then they talked about it with someone in the office and then they talked about it with the guidance counselor and then they called the district and then they called the like parent advocate's office and then like, you know, eventually it might get to you. And by this point they're pissed, right? And they, they, they might be rightfully pissed. Something might be happening to their child that is not, supposed to be happening, right? Or that's unfair or unethical or whatever. And so there's probably a slice of this that is like people who are righteously angry and there's a customer service nature to school leadership that like part of the deal is you deal with upset families, right? Um, Or people who are upset about something in the realm of your school community. And (laughs) There's a big difference between those kind of things and like people who say are showing up at school board meetings with AR15s talking about, you know, we got to we got to get the liberal communist conspiracy out of our schools and, you know, putting your personal information on Facebook and, you know, saying you principal, CRT, teacher are evil or, you know, those kinds of things, which I've seen. I think we've seen, especially in many parts of the country, an uptick in like that kind of behavior, which is actually like really threatening. The other stuff is like stressful and might make it hard to sustain your job. But it doesn't make you feel like my spouse and kids are could be in danger. Right. And so. I, you know, my speculation about this data point is that we're seeing, uh, I would say, in, re- in relation to things like masking and vaccination requirements in terms of this curriculum war kind of stuff, an uptick in people, you know, making more aggressive threats against school leaders. Um, and... You know what do we think is the con- is going to be the consequence of this kind of stuff, right? Like nobody wants to deal with that in their job, and particularly not when like, <laughs> you know, what you're trying to do is like take care of the the welfare of hundreds of children each day you know, or thousands of children each day, right? Um, so I, one other thing I'll say about this man, well, before I want to I want to hear your take is. There was a really interesting store uh, set of data in here about like, efficacy, feelings of efficacy from the school leaders. So um, just 26% said they strongly agree that they're meeting the needs of English learners. 28% said the same for LGBTQ students. And for low-income students, the number was a little higher, was 40% uh, strongly agreeing that they're meeting those students' needs. So, you know it's i think that gives some insight right into like it's an incredibly difficult job it's hard to feel successful in the job because even if you're doing a great job for 80 90% of the kids you feel emotionally and i'm sure you as a teacher uh, relate heavily to this you feel the emotional weight of the, the places where, you know, we're not being successful. And even if you feel like you did everything you could, knew how to do and you worked yourself to as hard as you could work yourself. When you see a kid who drops out or a kid who fails all their classes or a kid who's just like dejected and getting into fights and whatever, you know, like that stuff does weigh on you. And um, the pandemic has exacerbated all of that. Right. The disconnection, the sense of, you know, hopelessness, all these kinds of things that that we see escalations of in students and frankly, in adults, too. Um, So I think this is one of those things, Manuel, where like the there's a canary in a mineshaft data set here that's telling us like hey, man, like we we should be paying attention to this and doing something about it. And I honestly don't know of any school system around the country. I could just be uninformed, but I'm not aware of any school system around the country that is doing something really substantive to address this problem in terms of the threats to sustainability and retention of school leaders.
0: Yeah, certainly... Troubling when you think of all the different reasons why principals report that they are um, thinking about leaving because, as you just laid out, there are a litany of reasons why. And that the part that stood out to me is what you had mentioned about the personal threats and attacks. And I had to stop and really like remind myself that like, that's come in waves because I feel like the first wave of really wild out-of-pocket folks showing up at school boards or showing up at campuses and being extremely january 6th ish um Mm. was around the mask mask requirements and i remember seeing videos i remember one video i saw of like just a mob of of parents and and their kids and stuff like trying to get into a school board meeting that they weren't allowed into because you had to wear a mask this was um I don't know if it matters when in the pandemic it was, but it was early in the pandemic. And, and they, I remember one of the parents or one of the adults in the video, like telling all the, the young people, like they can't stop us all, they can't stop us all. And they just started like pushing their way in through the doors past the security to get into that school board meeting without masks. And that's just, a, you know, and that was the first wave of this, like really out of pocket mob behavior. And then, came the CRT talk, the woke teachers talked, all that stuff. And then you saw other waves of folks at school board meetings, at at schools and, and online threatening teachers, principals, school board meeting uh meeting school board members and, and all of that. And I, I guess, that wave's not over. That wave's still ongoing. And even if it were over somehow, there'd probably be a whole nother wave of folks coming. So it's it's just um, these mobs of people have been just stirred up into a frenzy, into a fury. And I just can't imagine how hard it is for school leaders, in this case, principals, to deal with that. Uh, I was having a conversation with um, Gerardo Munoz of Two Dope Teachers um, a week or two ago when we were um, in New York at the Educolor event. And he had mentioned a principal in Colorado. I don't remember the, the what town in Colorado. I don't remember the principal's name. Um, so I don't have all the details, but he was just mentioning how hard the the school board in that case was was working to find a reason to fire this principal because this principal at first was you know being accused of being a leftist woke and all that stuff and the you know, school board a, a few folks ran for school board who were on the the right wing fringes of things and they were just searching for reasons to to and they just made this this principal's life a living hell and I just can't imagine dealing with shortages on your school site campus like not enough certificated adults to actually teach the classes that need to be taught and and to support uh, the classes that you have there. So you're scrambling in that sense. There has been a, a substitute teacher shortage and I don't know what the numbers are like this year so far for that. Thankfully at my school site, they're better, but in any case, so like you're not only just scrambling to cover the classes and find enough subs. In some cases, there's not enough subs. So you're combining classes. You're doing this. You're doing that. You're covering classes as a principal when you're when there's so many other things that that you need to do as well. And on top of that, you're getting emails. You're getting you know um, tagged on Facebook and Instagram all these places from these parents who are upset about this book being taught or this book being used. And, and you're dealing with all that you know so called cultural war um, BS. And at the end of the day, you look at how effective you're being, you you are, and this goes to the uh, point you made at, towards the end about how many principals in this survey said that they simply just don't feel that they are doing enough to meet the needs of of their most marginalized students. So just twenty six percent strongly agree that they're meeting the needs of English learners, and and only forty percent of principals reported that they strongly agree that they're meeting the needs of, of low income students of color. So it's almost like you're just, you gotta feel like you're just being set up to fail. Like you can't possibly cover all the logistical things that need to be covered and deal with the waves of attacks around masking and COVID protocols and the waves of attacks around curriculum and and, and uh, teaching and books and all that stuff. And like, for what, for what? Like you got into it to, I mean, I, I assume, um, most educators, if not all educators, some part of their being when they first started identifying as educators was to wanna help young people live and grow and prosper. And you got into it for service and you are finding yourself fighting battles that feel like wars in some cases. And mm. it's just not what you signed up for. And there seems to be no end in sight. It's, if anything, it seems like this all this is just getting worse. And it's really, really troubling. It really makes me personally feel for the principals out there. I know our principal at our school site, like I would, you could double, triple, quadruple my pay to do what he did last year. And I would be like, nope, (laughs) nope, not worth it, not worth it. Because I just can't imagine um, having to lead our school through all that, just all that we needed to be led through uh, pandemic-wise last year. So yeah, man, I just really feel for the principals out there and I really- Worry. I really, truly, truly am worried about our school system going forward and the extent to which we could hold on to what we have. We've been fighting to improve the system, and at this point, I'm like, "Damn, do will, do we even have a system that's going to remain intact enough for us to even, <laughs> even be trying to improve? Uh, five, ten years." Five, 10, 15 years from now, I'm really worried about what the future of the public schooling system looks like. I feel like the folks on the right are winning, so called, in this case. Mm. They are winning. Mm. These things, these, this institution seems to be um, slowly, slowly falling apart in all these different ways. We, we see all these different indicators of ways in which the system is barely um, staying afloat. So, yeah. Mm. Winning, so much winning. So much. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah. I, I'm not exactly sure where to go with that next, but well, cause I just, I agree
0: <laughs> with man. what you're
1: saying, man. It is, uh, I think that, um, you know, I think I might've said this a few years back on the show, but it's probably worth saying again that, that, um, everyone who works in education in many ways has a difficult job, I will say. Um, I I don't know if there's many like straight up easy jobs in education. There are people who are not well compensated in education, which might make you think, oh, they have an easy job. Right. Like it's, uh, you know, easy in the sense that people think flipping burgers at McDonald's is, quote unquote, easy. Right. Like you don't need a lot of training and expertise to do it, Uh, but probably similar to the job of flipping burgers at McDonald's. Doing it yourself will quickly teach you that it's actually not what you would think of as easy. (laughs) And I think that could be said for pretty much everyone who works in education, top to bottom. Um, I do think that because everyone basically in our country has gone to school and everyone has had teachers, that there's some level of like understanding and empathy for like oh yeah teaching like that's a hard job right. <laughs> you know um and almost no one in this country has been a principal and people's interactions with principals are like so sparse and varied in some cases that i think people might not actually necessarily have a a good grasp of like how difficult that job is and um how stressful it is when you care deeply about the work that we're trying to get done and when you are in many ways not given the adequate resources to to get it all done Um, when you have situations like you know other kinds of leaders of organizations have like a a, an assistant or a secretary someone who like manages their calendar and does all you know does a certain slice of administrative work that lets them focus on, on other kinds of things. There's lots of principals across the country that effectively don't have that, right? Um, and so, you know, you have this big, complex executive leadership job, and you have to, like, sweep the floors, and you have to, you know, schedule all the, you know, all the meetings and respond to all the emails directly yourself. Um, and, you know, these are things that, that just create a pattern of unsustainability. Uh, In the role and create a job that I think, in many ways, expects people to be too good at too many things to actually feel effective uh, in the role. And I think we also underestimate, Manuel, the extent to which principles are utterly essential. To the, to the well-being of a school community. And I think we often feel that most when we have a situation where there's either a void of leadership, like a vacancy, or where there's really poor leadership in place, and people are like, oh, my God, I'm leaving this school. I'm, You know, the transfer requests start coming in. Um, and I, so I think we ignore this kind of problem at our own peril, for real. And, you know, I know principals are, like, harder to feel sympathy for, in some ways because they're the big dog in the school and they get paid the most in the school usually and they you know these sorts of things but like man if we want good schools to serve communities well we need good principals and good principals equals a happy teaching staff a happy teaching staff equals kids who are being taken care of in the you know in the classroom every day equals parents who are happy about what they're getting from the school system so i i think we got to elevate the urgency around this problem and really um, start thinking creatively about what we can do to make the principal's job something that's sustainable.
0: Yeah, and I I especially agree with the elevate the urgency part of it. I, I sit here thinking about what has happened with regards to our conversations around criminal justice and our conversations around policing. And despite all of the activity of the summer of 2020, it seems like police departments across the nation only got stronger. Like their budgets went up, and they were able to really cash in on, on the, um, on the moment to really just like defend themselves in such a way that that you know to even whisper abolish the police or to I- even um, whisper anything along those lines is just just became politically like untenable for for so many you know folks on on so called left and right and. I think like how did they withstood like the most immense pressure, legitimate pressure, and they withstood it and only got stronger. Their budgets grew. Copaganda in the media has only gotten stronger with a custodian uh, story that we just talked about. The custodian was detained, weapons pulled on him for no reason at all, no good reason. And immediately the story shifted away from what the hell were the police doing? Why don't they have some other protocol for for, uh, uh, investigating something like this? to oh look at that principal that principal showed up and used racist language cuz it's talking about nosy white neighbors they immediately shifted like the when it comes to policing it's like they're they're so good at controlling the narrative in the media and controlling the narrative with regards to talking about budgeting and all that stuff and i just think about the school system which I hope every listener could agree is is vitally more important than policing. Like the school system is one of the most important, if not the most important, institutions that we have in this country uh, for upholding democracy and giving everybody a chance at at uh, success in life and and all that. And it's just fa- it's just falling apart under all these attacks, all of these attacks. And how can we elevate the urgency? Of getting the profession from teachers to principals to curriculum writers to all that on the same page about defending what we have here, the way that the police were able to, man, because I feel like they withstood that so well and they only got stronger. And we're sitting here seeing story after story after story of our institution falling apart. And it just seems like it just seems like we're losing, man. It just seems like we're losing. I don't know.
1: Yeah, it it is. uh, It's frustrating to watch what is happening. (laughs) And, uh, you know, to to just add a little more to that uh, hypothetical story out of Pasadena that we were referring Mm to, uh, it's fascinating how quickly the body cam footage uh, comes out when when it's a principal saying some stuff that frankly was, you know, was like very blunt and probably not artfully said, right? Right. Um, And also is speaking to a very real phenomenon in this city and many cities around the country, which is public schools that are located in areas with richer folks who don't send their kids to those schools, who opt out of the school system and go to private school, and then wanna do stuff like call the police on a custodian who is putting in overtime to get the school ready for the poor black and brown kids who actually go to the school. So you know, that type of phenomenon is present in many cities all across this country. And uh, and what happens when the cops mess up Well, The, the principal becomes a scapegoat yep. with video that's put out immediately. <laughs> yep. Right. And uh, meanwhile, when they're mowing, mowing us down in the streets and shooting us for no reason in the back, which literally happened here in Pasadena. Same police department. Same police department. Oh, we don't know the name of the officers. Oh, the video has to be vetted. It's an ongoing investigation. And then they don't just release the video. They release a freaking Hollywood produced propaganda film showing a sparkle on someone's belt as they're running away and being like, see, that was the gun. And you're like, actually, see, that's clearly not a gun. And like... The cop just shot the dude in the back, man. Um, so anyways, I'm, I'm getting a little Get off man. track here, Manuel. But all that to say, uh, I think what you're naming here speaks to, you know, to, to a larger issue around like prioritization societally. Right. And so much of these stress issues that impact uh, school leaders that the study is talking about are things that I think stem from the fact that many schools in this country are tasked with with the concentrated work of, uh, of addressing the byproducts of structural oppression and poverty in this country. And even though they might today have more money than they had before the pandemic, because we've had infusions of you know, federal dollars and we've had you know, um, you know, lot, lots of additional things that are coming to schools, we also like turned up the heat on all the problems. And and we're like, hey, you know, why haven't you fixed everything? You know, schools like poverty is irrelevant. All you all you need is a good teacher. For three years in a row, and then like you won't uh, racism and poverty don't matter, you know. And I'm like, this is this is the mythology of the oppressor that <laughs> that is being imposed yeah. upon us, right? And it's hard to have this conversation because it's a very slippery slope to then being like real deficit minded about the kids in the community and real sort of, um, well, it's not gonna matter. So let's just hug the kids and do crossword puzzles all day, or you know, there's a there's a low expectations risk and even having this conversation. But we have to because the, you know, the work of the work that's being heaped upon educators in the context that we work in is incredibly difficult because of the concentration of Byproducts of structural oppression that exist in our country that we concentrate in certain schools and communities. And until we're willing to do something much more dramatic, like quadruple the funding and resources for schools in this context relative to their more affluent peers, and you know, triple the size of staffs and have, you know, all kinds of programs that uplift communities and not policing and prisons. Uh, descending upon <laughs> these communities to build them up and remove barriers in the way of their progress and genius. I think we're gonna continue to see a lot of things we have seen when it comes to the work not feeling sustainable to people.
0: Yeah, uh, I agree with you there. I'm not happy to agree, but I agree right there. So <clears throat> yeah, I don't, know, I don't know what else to say, man. Like each indicator we're getting, Um, seems to suggest that things are in a very not great place, or at least they are trending in a not great direction. And um, one can hope that we see some sort of progress in supporting our principals, supporting our teachers, uh, building up those pipelines. Uh, The new class that I'm teaching uh, this year, um, for anyone curious or whatever, is um, the result of a partnership with um, Cal State LA and Tournament of Roses and college football playoffs. And it's essentially a intro to education course, uh, which is an elective, uh, to help students under, uh, start learning a little bit more about, uh, the school system and, um, their place within the school system and with the intention of hopefully, um, cultivating some interest in, in young people, uh, particularly black and brown marginalized folks to consider careers in the education system. So like a early, early teacher pipeline type of course, um, which great idea, but, um, Still got to work on the curriculum quite a bit. But yeah, man, we got to build up the pipelines for the future and do what we can to sustain and hold up and uh, support the folks who are currently in there right now um, while we still have a system here intact to support and to uh, stand up for. So so yeah. Well, Jeff, um, there was another story we were going to talk about. And I just want to ask you a brief, quick question um, and then, you know, because it's kind of time sensitive and there might be some action on this sometime this week. So maybe we'll talk more about it next Saturday or we could dive into it now. But I do want to ask you, today is August 20th and the pause on student loan payments expires on August 31st. So we got about 11 days before these student loan payments kick back in. And I want to know, what's the over under? in your head, of President Biden forgiving folks' student loans. There's talk that he might mm. forgive 10000 for per borrower, depending on income. There's talk that, or there's just certainly pressure for him to forgive a lot more than that. And, of course, there are going to be folks out there who think he's not even going to do the $10,000. So $10,000 loan forgiveness sometime within the next, or announced at least, sometime within the next 11 days over under on that, Jeff. What do you think? You taking the over? Are mm. you taking the under?
1: We're talking over under on on the ten thousand, or over yes. under on the will he do it or not? On the ten thousand. Uh, <laughs> on ten thousand. Oh, I'm definitely taking the under. I have no <laughs> good expectations of Joe Biden whatsoever. I I, I just keeping it real. I can't stand Joe Biden. I think he's a major impediment to just about everything good in this country. Uh, but that's that's a topic for another podcast, probably. Um, so. Here's here's what I what I think, Manuel. The uh, so one important piece of context that did just happen this past week is mm-hmm. uh, is a long-standing issue <laughs> that we have spoken about, uh, particularly spoke about heavily during the Betsy DeVos era, ah, yeah. uh, where you know she was just doing recklessness left and right. Um, but you know, ITT Tech and anyone who grew up in our era, I would say, Manuel, of of you know folks who were in there probably mid-30s to mid-40s right now. Remember seeing those TV commercials oh, yeah. of ITT Tech back in 1992? They were so hopeful and you couldn't, like...
0: So many lives you know- turned around
1: yeah, ITT Tech and DeVry Institute and all these like, you know, sort of colleges on TV selling that you can get some credential and become a computer programmer or whatever. Well, you know, of course, no surprise at all. Turned out that ITT Tech was a, you know, essentially a a fraudulent operation on on a certain level. And, um, And this week, there were more than 200,000 former students of ITT Technical Institute that will now see their uh, loan balances cleared, whether they applied for forgiveness or not. um, That's going to amount to about $3.9 billion because ITT Educational Services closed its campuses in 2016 after many years of scrutiny around its accreditation, its poor standards for practice, its suspect recruitment and enrollment practices of students. And uh, it had 130 campuses across the country, 45,000 students and was robbing most of them, being heavily subsidized with federal student loans and private loans in order to pay their exorbitant, useless tuition. Uh, yep. Now, there's probably a more artful way to say that, but let's just keep it real, man. This This is one of those types of institutions that was just robbing people. And I want to acknowledge the Biden administration did something good this week, two years late, but did something good to just simply cancel the debt. For all the students who were robbed by that institute, defrauded by that institution. So now, maybe that I'm, was a warm up.
0: Was that a warm up? Maybe that was like the you nah, know the little intro, nah. little little appetizer before the big Def- the big one.
1: <laughs> Definitely not a warm up. Look, I think that what is most likely to happen is they're going to extend the pause rather than actually doing a major cancellation, and that there'll be some more useless negotiation and sometime next year as we get closer to the election, um, uh, there will be a uh, an actual forgiveness of some nominal amount that will not make any of the extremely wealthy institutions and individuals in this country any less wealthy, will provide a little bit of help to certain people, that'll be important, and most people who are deeply crippled by student debt in this country will still be deeply crippled by that debt after that happens. You know it'll be like seventy five hundred or you know or something like that and so uh and hey, maybe it'll even be ten thousand, but the reality is like that's a that's a step and a inadequate landing place for this for this conversation to go that's my take what do you What are you taking manuel yeah,
0: so yeah. He ain't forgiven nothing in these next 11 days. I would be shocked. <laughs> I would be shocked. Even if it's just the the, the meager 10,000. I say meager because for a lot of folks, they have so much student debt. That 10,000 is almost laughable. But, uh, you know, I do acknowledge that that 10,000 would help uh, a lot of folks who uh, maybe tiptoed into, into college and trying college out. And maybe it did or didn't work out for them, but they have this debt now. And, um, you know, the 10,000 will go a long way for them. I acknowledge that. But, yeah, no, he ain't even going to do that. Not not in these next 11 days. I would be shocked. I would be shocked. Um, I think you're right. I think it will be, the can will be kicked back down the road some more. Um, and I would love, I just have to point out that these loan repayments have been on pause since like, what, April, May of 2020? So we're talking more than, we're talking like two and a half years of no student loan repayments happening, or at least no, like compulsory payments happening and seems like the economy didn't collapse seems like those who are the wealthy are <laughs> still super wealthy and it just seems like we might as well just just keep that rolling like i don't mean keep it rolling in terms of you know just extend the pause for another six months i mean just like eh we're good on payments like nah we're good let's uh go ahead and uh Move on from from this uh, current student debt that everyone has. Let's just uh, wipe that out because clearly we don't need those payments to come in, and um, it will be so 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 beneficial for so many folks, particularly um, folks out there who are just struggling with everything else that is, you know, inflated. Um, from gas prices even though they went down a little bit uh to rents and to all that other stuff like let's just let's just take this off of off of people's shoulders especially since we've given so many handouts so many handouts to corporations and and the wealthy like so many that you can't even keep track of it anymore and i'm thinking of i don't know why but just randomly popped in my head the lakers took out a freaking ppp loan like the billionaire fr- franchise Los Angeles Lakers even took out one of those PPP loans which uh, were' forgiven or whatever so it's just like um, so many rich people have cashed in and mm-hmm. taken advantage of all the all these uh, systems that were meant to support folks who are struggling. So it's like okay can can the student loan borrowers get like one W even if it's a small W just just something so yeah but no, uh, I would be shocked if over these next 11 days he announces anything significant I would be shocked but we'll see. So I guess count me on the under side of that. Um, I'll take the under. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you, man. And it it is, uh, this is one of those times, Manuel, where (laughs) I know I'm cynical on a certain level, but I'm like, are you? just because I'm cynical (laughs) doesn't mean I'm wrong. Like, you know, Joe Biden doesn't work for us, man. Like if if he did, this is 100% within his realm of power, him and Miguel Cardona together. They yeah. can do this with an executive order. They don't need the mess that is Congress to approve. Yes, there will be some political fallout, but there will be masses of people who are like, word, I could support that. Joe Ashes. Biden's the man. <laughs> Thank you for changing my life. Right. So like this tells you the extent to which. He doesn't work for us (laughs) because it's not about us. And I'm saying us, even though I have paid off my student loans, man. Right, Right. I, you know, I spent the reason I don't, well, I'm about to own a home, but the reason I'm only now becoming a homeowner is because the first mortgage I paid off in my life was my student loans. Okay. And while I lived in a tiny box in New York City for a decade. So, you know, there, I empathize greatly with people who are paying huge amounts of of their income on loans and not being able to do things like take a vacation or go visit your family whenever you want to or buy a nicer place to live in or whatever it might be because or having to work extra jobs and things because these loan payments are crippling you. So. I, I identify with that, and it's it's clear that the interests of us are not the interests carrying the day here. So I'm, yeah. I'm taking the under. You're taking the under. It's a question of how much under, perhaps. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Negative amounts. Like actually, we're going to charge you more because you just had this pause for all these all these yeah, exactly. months, and uh, we're going to put a little extra what, on it.
1: That's what it be, and we're going to raise interest rates on you. Yeah.
0: Bootstraps, bootstraps.
1: Exactly. Toughen you up. Exactly. Toughen
0: you up. Yeah, we'll see, folks. We'll see. And um, Jeff, did you remember to um, reset your your recorder this time around?
1: I sure did. OK, I sure good. Did. Good. Yep.
0: Gentle, gentle listener out there. If you are someone who regularly listens to Passing Period, you might notice that sometimes, sometimes later on in the episode, Jeff's audio will suddenly switch to something that's not nearly as as good and clear as the original audio. And that's because sometimes uh, Jeff forgets to uh, reset his recording device, which times out after 30 minutes, and uh, we have to use the Zoom backup. And uh, Mr. Producer Man, myself, um, does his best to try to make it blend seamlessly. So if you've been curious, like, damn, why does Jeff sound different all of a sudden? Um, Usually it's because of that. But it worked out this time. So easy editing. We'll throw this up. We'll throw this (laughs) up right now. Anything else, Jeff, before Uh... we get up out of here?
1: Uh, no, nah, man, that's, I think that's about it. I want to say uh, happy first week of school. To uh, to yeah. all of my educators out here in uh, in LA, and I'm sure in many other parts of the country that was that was the same as well this week. And uh, big shout out to my New York educators and my Upper Midwest educators who still got a couple weeks of summer. Uh, yeah. Wait until after Labor Day. Props to you. Enjoy it. I hope you're on a beach somewhere, sipping a cocktail, one of those little umbrellas in it or whatever, and uh, you know, listening to all the above in the luxury and comfort of the vacation you deserve.
0: Yeah, for sure. I want to second that. But I also want to, I wonder, if I, I don't know if I'm the only teacher in this in this boat, but sometimes once I'm into the school year, so now we're a week and a half in, and then I hear about other people who haven't started yet, I, I feel such relief because that beginning anxiety of like, whoa, will my classes look like? Will I have enough desks? Because there have been years where the classes were so much bigger than the amount of desks I have. Like, you just never know. So that like going back to school anxiety, like now it's like the band-aid has been ripped off we're 10 days in, I'm good. So sometimes when I think about those teachers who haven't gone back yet, part of me is like, oh, they're still on vacation. That's nice. But then I'm like, oh, hell no. Nah. They got to deal with all that, like, you know, pre-school year anxiety and all that. And then, i I got that behind me. So so it goes both ways at this point in the summer, I guess it goes both ways. So shout out to the y'all who already started and shout out to y'all who are currently preparing to go back and, um, and make it happen. So yeah, man. And I think that's it. So Remember, y'all, we love y'all. We will see you next week, probably with another passing period, um, because it'd be like that around this time of year. And um, that's about it. So for now, it's time for you to go ahead and get to class.